Hey guys, welcome back to the OG of the HRC way news. They ain't telling you. All right, so let's get into Monday, fun day from Sunday, Monday news. Okay, first and foremost, President Biden has called for a $15 minimum wage raise. I have stated before sort of my opinion on that, so we'll see what happens in Congress. That cannot be passed by executive order. It must be passed through Congress. So there we go. 51 votes are going to be needed. We shall see. Um, keep an eye out for Senator Manchin in this one because he comes from a very, very poor state who necessarily will have a tough time paying $15. So we'll see. Um, so this is quite interesting. Apparently, uh, the feds are deciding whether or not they are going to actually prosecute all who were involved in the domestic terrorism on January 6th. Um, I guess it's overwhelming, I guess. I don't know. I really have no rhyme or reason why everyone wouldn't be prosecuted at the very least, but uh, who knows? So that's, they're contemplating that. That is a very real thing that I've seen from multiple news sources. So we'll see about that. This is a little interesting story that we actually were just talking about a few minutes ago. Um, so we are on TikTok OG of the HRC. Check us out. It's lots of fun. But when you're on TikTok, they sort of give you videos that you may like based on the things that you have liked. I guess because I like a lot of political things, somehow Kellyanne Conway's daughter, Claudia, seems to always jump up on my on my page. And I'm intrigued. So Claudia Conway has about a million and a half followers on TikTok, which is insane. Um, she's 15 years old. Most of her videos are just her sort of like looking pretty and doing her thing. But she got really famous because she is very liberal. She's for Black Lives Matter. She's very opposite her mother and her father even, um, who is truly a Republican. Obviously, George Conway from the Lincoln Project. So what's interesting is every once in a while I'll look on it. I got a text message from my friend and he said, have you seen Claudia Conway's TikTok? I was like, what are you talking about? So I went on Claudia Conway's TikTok, which again, she's 15. Um, and Kellyanne Conway has three other children as well. Um, I had noticed before that Kelly, uh, Claudia Conway had posted something about her dad leaving them. And he was in, she was in his closet and like was trying to sell his stuff. And like it, it got to be a lot. So I was like, okay, I'm not that interested in this. Well, this one was even crazier. Um, apparently she posted, not apparently, but because I saw them, she posted videos of the time period when the whole family had COVID and they are very graphic, emotionally, some physical abuse is going on to Claudia and Claudia Conway. And, um, she posted them. Then she posted right after and said, I'm not trying to get anyone in trouble. And then she posted a video with her mom talking to a police officer. The police officer was very nonchalant about the whole thing. And Kellyanne Conway was like, Oh, I want to get family therapy. And all I want to say is I had to stop watching because this is, there's nothing enjoyable for me about this. This is a family who's in crisis and we're talking about kids we're not talking about adults here. We're talking about children. And I say with Kellyanne Conway, get your damn daughter off of TikTok because obviously there's some other family issues going on, which is why I chose not to follow Claudia Conway because she's 15. She's a kid. The, 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 
this is much bigger than TikTok or politics or, you know, Kellyanne Conway apparently like stepped away from the Trump administration because she had to take care of her kids at home. Well, take care of your damn kids because I don't want to be seeing this anymore. And uh, I just think it's a sad, tragic turn of events. I mean, it's I, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see her selling her dad's stuff. I don't want to see her mom. I don't want to see any of that. So there's that. But, you know, it's sad and true all at the same time. Let's switch it up. Um, the GOP of Arizona has censured Governor Doug Ducey, Cindy McCain, and former Senator Flake because they all came out against Donald Trump. Um, so I guess that's what we do now. We censure if you don't go the flow with what the party tells you to do. I don't know. This is Arizona. Maybe, you know, Arizona has more cases of COVID, has more, is struggling with COVID more than any other state in America. So like maybe focus on that instead of focusing on, you know, censoring Cindy McCain and Jeff Flake and Doug Ducey. <laughs> um, this is interesting. There's been rumors kind of floating around that Trump may start what he calls the MAGA party. So make America great again party. Someone has to explain to me something. He still kept that logo, Make America Great Again, when he was running for president for the second time. Wasn't that his his whole thing of, like, I'm going to make America great again? So if he's already made it great again, how is he going to make it great again again? I don't understand how MAGA can still be a thing. Because if he fixed all the problems like he claims he did, how can he make America great again? Aren't we, like, great? Didn't we get there? I mean, we didn't at all, but... So, yeah, he may start the MAGA party, which will be a third party, obviously, and he has the funds and he has the people. So that's interesting. I don't know if he'll run in that party or he'll have other people, but he's got plenty of supporters. That's for damn sure. Um, You can start with Ted Cruz and Senator Hawley and uh, Jim Jordan and, you know, take them all. Take them all. Um, But it'll be interesting. So a big news story in the New York Times um, was there was a little literal article about President Biden wearing a Rolex. Um, now, on the surface, I know you can say, like, oh, my gosh, the country's going through great distress. How can he possibly wear a Rolex? Blah, blah, blah. But I just want to let everyone know that every president since the creation of the Rolex company, the Rolex watch, has been given a Rolex. They pick out from the little book which Rolex they want. President Obama had a Rolex. LBJ, who was one of the the poorest presidents probably going in. Um, he did have some money because of his wife, but he came from very, like, poverty, you know, backgrounds. He had a Rolex that he wore every day, which was the presidential Rolex. So, I mean... I, I can't believe that the New York Times, that's the story that we're going with, considering that we're paying for Trump's family to have extended Secret Service for six months, even though they're all millionaires and they can afford their own security and they're grown. Usually you get extended Secret Service if you're under 18 um, for six extra months because only the president, the former president and the former first lady have Secret Service the rest of their lives. The vice president only has it for his former vice president and second lady only have it for six months and the children, you know, if they're young, usually. But apparently we need to protect all billion of the Trump family um, with their millions of dollars. And it's disgusting. So, like, maybe let's 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 figure that out. New York Times. Um, Pelosi officially hands the articles of impeachment to the Senate. 
Schumer will begin the trial on February 9th. He has said it's going to be a fair trial, but it's going to be a quick trial because they're ready to close the door on this. Do I think that we have the votes for impeachment at this point in time? No, I do not. You need 67. That is a hard mountain to climb. Um, Senator Corrin of Texas has come out and says, if you do this, then we may just go back and impeach Bill Clinton. We may go back and try to impeach, you know, this person. So it's going to be, it's just, it's like a soap opera that I want to turn the channel on. And I just, I'm ready for it to be over with. Um, this is an interesting statement. Dr. Burke was the lady with the scarves, the scarf lady who at first we all thought we liked. And then she turned out to be a lame ass doctor. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Burke, she's newly retired. She was on Face the Nation this weekend, and she stated, and I quote, I saw the president presenting graphs that I never made. Meaning, and she goes on in, in great detail, and she says, the graphs that I saw in his hand when I would have meetings with him in the Oval Office were not the same graphs that I had made, meaning that someone in between was giving him fake graphs about COVID. So I think it's great. She's coming out now and saying it awesome but i also want to say how many lives could have been sold saved excuse me if she would have just spoken out and left i mean she's retired now so obviously she didn't continue on with biden the way that president biden the way that dr fauci has so she obviously knows that what she did was wrong um so you know what's really sad about dr burke is that she was dr fauci's right hand woman and they have taken on so many diseases in our country, around the world. They took on AIDS together. They took on, and like, this is how her career ends. She's doing a face the nation, still with her scarf, looking exhausted. And she didn't say anything until now. So there you go. Um, a couple things about President Biden. President Biden has announced he will lift the ban on transgenders from serving in the military that, of course, Trump put in place. So that is a great holy day. Um, President Biden also, this is very interesting. So a lot of people are saying that he needs to fire the director of the United States Postal Service, because DeJoy, because of what he did. And let me tell you, he, he effed up the United States Postal Service. Um, I sell shirts on Etsy for fun, kind of. It was like a COVID thing. I bleach shirts, and they're really cute. But <laughs> um, when I first started... Before DeJoy became the director, I people used to get their shirts within two days, three days max. Now, I, I shipped a shirt the other day, and obviously we're post-holiday season and all of that. It took almost a week and a half to go to, I think it was Colorado. So on top of all the other problems that we have with the United States Postal Service, um, shutting down machines, the whole thing. So, But the only way he can fire him is that he, so there's three empty slots in what is the United States Postal Service board. They have their own board. So there's nine of them. So there's three open slots. Usually what the president will do is they'll play two spots will be the same party that you are and one spot will be the opposite party. That's usually what they do to kind of keep things balanced. Well, Trump changed the game on all that. So Biden, President Biden, they're saying he needs to nominate all three that are empty with Democrats. Therefore, it gives us a five to four margin. Therefore, the board can decide to fire DeJoy. That's the only way he's out. So I don't know if President Biden will do that. 
but the post office is in dire need of help and uh, DeJoy is not the guy. So he needs to go, but that's the only way he can go. So we'll see what President Biden decides to do. And last but not least, President Biden is sending a naval ship to the South China Sea to show support for Taiwan and other allies. Just so everyone knows, China basically wants to take over Taiwan, Hong Kong, um, which are free, which they fought to be free. So uh, President Biden is saying we're going to send a naval ship. So they're going to be right there if things are going to get too crazy because China police have been like arresting people and all of that. So he's showing support. So we shall see what's going on there. So that is the news of Monday evening. Let's go into a couple other stories. Okay, so um, I've tried to put off talking about this for a couple episodes um, because personally I go back and forth with it. I'm being very honest with you guys. Um, some days I am for eliminating the filibusters. Filibuster, excuse me, some days I'm not. Um, I've seen the power of the filibuster when, when, our, when we've used it, and it's glorious, um, especially when majority of the time we've had the minority and I understand the greatness of it um, but when you're in the majority you feel like oh my gosh the minority is outweighing the majority and so therefore you know you get kind of caught up in let's get rid of um, the filibuster. Let me just say this before I say anything else that if we do eliminate the filibuster and I mean this with every fiber of my being we must keep the majority in the Senate for at least 10 years. I'm not exaggerating. Because if we don't, everything that we accomplish will be gone. Because there will be no filibuster for Democrats to stop the Republicans if they take back the majority. It's the same thing as when then-Majority Leader Harry Reid put in the nuclear option and you only needed, you know, 51 votes instead of the 60. And it changed the whole game. So we better be really, really, really sure of what we're doing here. So let me just break it down to you guys. Um, so obviously there's many Democrats who are in favor of eliminating the filibuster because of, by you know, partisan times. I understand that. Um, there's like a... There's like an overall sort of consensus that the the filibuster, it causes great gridlock. It can block some really great bills. Um, it's It makes it very hard to pass federal bills um, more than anything else. There's definitely like, like a great example is the civil rights bill was filibustered. The Voting Rights Act was filibustered. Thankfully, LBJ was president and he was able to like get us enough vote to block, to break up the filibuster. Um, so basically, the filibuster, in order to stop a filibuster, you need 60 votes to stop it. So that gives the minority a lot of power to sort of, even if they're all their only goal is to delay, it gives them a lot of power, which is why a lot of people have problems with it. Um, like I said, it gives the minority power. This is something important people need to know. The filibuster is not in the Constitution. It came years later. Um, it was created on accident. Some people say on accident. Some people say not so by Vice President Burr. And we've sort of just had 
rule change over time. 1917 was the first like big rule change of saying what you can do in a filibuster and what you cannot. Um, like I said, the Civil Rights Act was filibustered. The Voting Rights Act was filibustered. Now, here's what's interesting. It does not guarantee a stop or passing of bills, the filibuster. It just, it can delay, it can, it just gives the minority some type of power. So, now all of this, your basic rules of filibustering kind of went out the window when then, like I said, Majority Leader Harry Reid came in with the nuclear option, which he made, so you don't need the 60 vote, you only need 51 and that changed the game because then then majority leader uh, Mitch McConnell came in in 2017 and changed it so the Supreme Court votes you only needed 51 you no longer needed 60 so everything has been changed now because of those two decisions by those two men and we're in a whole new ball game now there's a lot of myths about the filibuster um, that the filibuster is unconstitutional that's not true obviously I told you guys it can't be unconstitutional because it's not in the Constitution. Um, the filibuster is a long-winded speech. That's not true either. It's not like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. They don't just get to go on and on. There's a set of rules on how it how it must um, go forth. Uh, ending, the, ending the filibuster would end gridlock. That is not true. And here's why. So right now the Democrats have power everywhere except for the Supreme Court. Um, so that's great. Ending the filibuster means we would be able to pass all of these things without blockage in the Senate. However, if we lose just the House in midterms, um, they can block a bill. So a great example of this is in 2013, Barack Obama, the Senate, we passed a bill for immigration. It was real. It was bipartisan bill. It was real immigration reform to try to like get ahead of what we've been putting off for so long. Well, then Speaker of the House, John Boner, Boehner, sorry, that's what I call him, guys, uh, he blocked it, and he wouldn't have it on the floor. It was a bipartisan bill, but he blocked it. So bills still have a way of not passing. Even if we magically get rid of this filibuster, they still have a way. Now, there's a theory that's, um, I just want to say, there's there's a lot of people I hear say that um, the filibuster is goes back to the days of the Jim Crow laws, and that's partly true. Um, there have been a lot of laws, bills, acts that were aimed toward black Americans that were filibustered and blocked or tried to be blocked um, under, you know, but, but a lot of things. It's mostly federal bills, federal funding that they block with the filibuster. Um, big business, you know, government getting involved in big business, government getting involved in, you know, healthcare, government getting, those are the things. So it's not necessarily always just, you know, black issues. It has been black issues, don't get me wrong, but it's just a generalization of, it's pretty much anything that Democrats want to do where they make big government, so Republicans come in, which is why they're a fan of the filibuster. But, um, and then the last thing is obviously like the nuclear option just changed absolutely changed everything so again like I said I don't I, I change my mind every day on how I feel about the filibuster I've seen the filibuster and I I think that it can be great um, there was a filibuster with uh, Senator Booker and Senator Murphy right after Sandy Hook when tragically all those children were killed in the shooting at the school 
And they filibustered, I think, for like a full day, day and a half. And nothing changed, but it caused a lot of like news press to come around and it looked like made it look like the Democrats were really trying to pass gun legislation. It made the Republicans stand in a corner for a bit. So, I mean, I go back and forth. I've done a lot of research on it. Um, I'm always worry when something is not in the Constitution that we've changed over time, that senators have changed, that Congress has changed. It always makes me, like, nervous and sort of, you know. Um, but but the big token here is I can't say this enough, that if we do do this, everyone needs to understand that if we lose the Senate majority, which we only have it by one, the vice president seat right now, if we lose it in midterms, Everything that President Biden and Congress gets done in the next two years could be gone. And we have no way of stopping it without the filibuster. So if Schumer is prepared to keep us safe in the midterms and prepared to hand it off to the next person to keep us safe in 2024 and after that and after that and after that, then yeah. But if we're not in that state... You know, it's a big, big gamble to take. Just as big of a gamble as what Harry Reid did with the nuclear option that changed absolutely everything, that opened the door for Mitch McConnell, that opened the door for Amy Coney Barrett, let's just be honest. Because if 60 votes were needed for her or Kavanaugh or Neil, they wouldn't be there. It would have turned into a bigger battle. But not a single Democrat voted for either any of them. So, no, I believe there was two Democrats who voted for Neil, excuse me, but Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. So we have to be, it's not, nothing is easy in politics. Nothing is easy in government. And it's not just like, oh, if you get rid of this, then this happens. No, there's always cause and effect. So it's very interesting. You guys do continue your research and um, maybe we'll come to a conclusion together. We'll see. We'll see. I'm going to leave the door. It's like slightly open. You know what I mean? When you're a kid and your mom checks on you, like slightly open, just enough to peek in. That's where I am. I'm not closed, not open, slightly open. So we'll see. Who knows? I have on today, I always have on a different pen, guys. So if you like zoom in, you can always like see what pens I have on. I think the other day I didn't have one on. But anyways, I have an LBJ original vintage pen today. And I love LBJ. He is my close second favorite president of all time. Um, it's a little bit controversial anytime I say that because I know obviously the disaster of the Vietnam War falls in his hand. He has a lot of blood on his hands. I totally get it. Um, FDR is my favorite president of all time, just so everyone knows. Um, so what I love though about LBJ and why I respect him so greatly is that LBJ when he became president, he obviously became president under very tragic circumstances. Um, you know, he came in and he came in after Camelot and he was sort of like his wife, very loud and boisterous. He'd been in Congress for like 40 years and Kennedy and him really didn't have a friendship. He chose LBJ because he needed Texas. That was back in the day when we still won Texas, everyone. And um, he needed Texas and he needed help in the South and he helped them. And he got him elected, and then tragically, he became president under assassination. And the way that he handled coming on when Kennedy had all these big, bold ideas, that's what people loved about him. Um, 
he didn't just let those ideas go. He continued. He continued with the Civil Rights Act. He continued with the Voting Rights Act. He didn't let Martin Luther King, now this is a Southern Democrat, and he didn't let them down, and he passed it. A Southern Democrat passed the Civil Rights Act, passed the Voting Rights Act. So I think that tragic. what's interesting, what I say all the time, is FDR, he was a brilliant president, but he was saved by a war. World War II came in and really saved our economy. Yes, the New Deal helped and it brought morale up and gave people jobs, even though we're, they were making not a whole lot. But it, it did help us. But the war, the war just really launched us. And, you know, jobs came back and we were building things for this war and women were working and all of that. And morale was up and pro-America was up. And you look at LBJ and LBJ, tragically, a war ruined him. And he, too, was a domestic policy guy like FDR. He had taken the New Deal and turned it into what is known as the Great Society. Um, he legislatively, this is unbelievable every time I read this statistic, he signed 84 out of 87 bills into law. I mean, <laughs> that is unbelievable. One, because he had a relationship with Congress hands down. He'd been there for so long. He was very persuasive. Two, because he had over two-thirds power in all of Congress, the Senate and the House. So, I mean, he passed the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, Medicaid, Medicare, high-speed mass transit, environmental laws, provisions for mental health, teacher cores, Head Start, on and on and on. He was the most successful legislative agenda in U.S. history. Most people don't talk about that with him because of Vietnam. Um, so he basically continued FDR's New Deal, called it the Great Society, and came up with all of these ideas to end the war on poverty and in because he had grown up himself at extreme poverty, extreme poverty. And so he knew what it was like to go to bed hungry. He knew what it was like for his parents to worry about money. He knew what that was like, and he wanted to end that. So he won his election um, because he finished out Kennedy's term, and he won his re-election in 1964 by 61% of the vote. He carried all but six states, and the Democrats, like I said, controlled both chambers of Congress by two-thirds. That is unheard of. Like, those numbers are unbelievable. What's interesting is that the Jewish vote pulled him over because he was fighting so hard for the civil rights vote on the Civil Rights Act and had it was going to pass. So the Jewish vote had been standing hand in hand with black protesters, Martin Luther King. So they were saying thank you to LBJ by that. So the Senate it was 68 to 32. The House was 295 to 140. I mean, these are unheard of. So, of course, you have those kind of numbers. You're going to, like, pass, pass, pass. But you have to have solid legislation. This was back in the day when they actually, like, read legislation and worked through it. So he had the war on poverty. Um, the great society ideas and programs were mostly dismantled by Nixon, Ford, and later by Reagan. So all of the, you know, ideas and hopes that he was working towards to end poverty, to you know, get people more mass transportation to anything that was federally paid. Nixon, Ford, and later Reagan came in and were like, nope, done. We're not doing that. 
So the reason I'm saying this is that when LBJ took over, we were in great mourning. Obviously, the country was in great mourning, but we were also deeply divided. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. had gained a lot of power, and most people in America didn't know what to think of him. Now everyone talks about him, and you know they love him, and he's historic because he is. But at the time, he was like FBI's most wanted person and they were bugging him and they were you know he was not a loved figure so we were deeply deeply divided based on race so you know because of lbj's passing of the civil rights act and later the voting rights act the democrats lost the south and we're slowly getting it back he thought we would lose the south for 30 years well here we are 50 plus years later and we barely just got back georgia um, I believe Texas is slowly coming in. Um, but, you know, so what's interesting is when LBJ had all this to overcome, this Southern Democrat who grew up with no money, who, you know, wasn't the chosen one for president, all of that, he he rose to the occasion. He was able to say, I'm going to take full advantage of what we have here. And I say to President Biden, that he has the same chance to do great things. Now, I know we don't have the, what was it, 60, 68 to 32 Senate. And I know we don't have the 295 to the 140 House. The House, we've, we've got an advantage. We can pass things through the House. I'm not worried about the House. But the Senate, the fact that we have 50 plus one with the Vice President, that is very worrisome to me. However, Biden, like LBJ, was in Congress for over 40 years, 35 years. People, everyone loves Joe Biden on the Hill. Lindsey Graham used to say, John McCain used to say, oh, said that he was great to work with. He was easy to work with. So is he as persuasive as LBJ? No, 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 no. LBJ was one in a million persuasive. But, you know, I look at what's going on right now and the comparisons, you know, are, are very as are the comparisons to what was happening during the FDR administration. And, you know, Americans are starving for guidance. They are. Um, like they were with LBJ, like they were with FDR. You know, when FDR took over, it was the rolling 20s and the, the Great Depression had to hit, and people didn't know what way, where to turn. There was so much corruption in politics in the 20s, and FDR came in like this breath of fresh air. And with LBJ, the country was so divided and mourning and just didn't know what was going to happen or who was going to get killed next or, you know, and he came in and was like, okay, he's doing something. And, you know, what's interesting to me is LBJ was this unlikely hero that wasn't supposed to be president. He wanted to be president. He just wasn't in the cards for him. So getting vice president was a pretty big deal. And um, I say the same thing about, Biden. He's this unlikely hero that none of us really were calling for, you know, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I just mean we weren't looking to him. And then all of a sudden he came in and it's like, okay, he, he got us, he got us out of that for those toxic four years. And here we are. So he has, my main point is he has an opportunity to do really great things to really shape this country. And to lift us out of this dark hole that we're in. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on with race. There's a lot going on with poverty. There's a lot going on all across the land, 
on top of all of the things that have been ignored for the last four years by the past administration. But I just think that if he really set his mind to it and he thought big and bold the same way that LBJ did, he can pull us out of this. I don't believe that Joe Biden, President Biden, will be running for re-election in four years just by his age alone. So he's got four years to really leave an imprint. You know, I mean, it took a couple of administrations to take down what LBJ had accomplished. And some of the things still are standing. Medicaid's still standing. Medicare's still standing. Head Start's still standing. You know, some of the environmental laws that he passed are still standing. So... When you do big, bold things like that, it's really hard to undo. But you've got to work together and you've got to be willing to listen to the other side. And I know that that's like a taboo thing to say right now, but that's when great things really happen. LBJ didn't just do this because he had this big lead in the Senate. He A lot of these bills were passed in a bipartisan manner. So, you know, that is what I just have to say is that Sometimes the unlikely hero can save the day. Now, tragically, like I've said with LBJ, the Vietnam War happened and it ruined him and it killed him, literally. So hopefully Biden doesn't have to deal with that. But that's just an interesting perspective that I think you guys should think about. Okay, so something that I've noticed recently um, with everyone is that we're standing in our corners and we don't want to talk to one another. We don't. And if, if this side talks to this side, then this side's being a traitor. Or this side talks to this side, this side's being a traitor. Like what the GOP of Arizona did with Cindy McCain and others of censuring them because they endorsed Biden. Uh, I mean, what are we talking about here? Um, like I have said before, great change happens when we all come together. Now, I'm not naive. I'm very aware that there are some rotten eggs uh, on the other side. I'm very aware that there's even some rotten eggs on our side. Sorry, guys, but there are. But what I've learned over the years is from pure observation is that just because a Democrat says something doesn't mean that you automatically have to go, yeah, yeah, they're right. And they're right because they're a Democrat. Or a Republican says something, oh, no, no, they're wrong. They're wrong because they're a Democrat. What? Like, that that doesn't make any logical sense to me. And I know that you guys are probably like, oh, well, the Republicans are this, that, and the other. And Republican people are like, oh, the Democrats are this, that, and the other. This is how we got here. We get so upset about the way that politicians handle themselves and that they're not able to make deals or they're, you know, none of that. Like the COVID package, right? Pelosi couldn't get a deal with the COVID package because Trump was saying yes and McConnell was saying no. And they were saying yes and it was this back and forth. And we get upset about that as Americans and we have a right to be upset about that. But aren't we doing the same thing? Now, there's a big difference in talking to a Republican about policy who is logical than a Republican who still believes that Trump won. There, there's a big difference. I'm fully aware that you can't get through to those people. The same way that there's a group of people who believe that Bernie Sanders should have been the nominee because he would have won in 2016. I can't break through to that. I, there's a wall there that I can't get through. But I would rather have a conversation with a Republican who they want to talk to me about policy. I'm not talking about pro-life. I'm not talk, I'm talking about real policy. So... I just think that we've gotten to this place of Democrats are right, Republicans are wrong, or vice versa. 
And I don't like it. I don't like it. I can't stand it, actually. I have family members who are Republicans who I love to death. And we don't see eye to eye on anything. I have an aunt who absolutely hates Nancy Pelosi. Now, you all know me. That's my girl. That's my homegirl. Like, but do I look at her any different? Do I? No, that's her opinion. So, and we can have other conversations about other things that we wish the government could do or not do or, you know, but to completely shut down and not have a discussion, a reasonable discussion, when things no longer are reasonable, then you can walk away. But if you can't have a reasonable, how does that make us any better than them? They're judging us and we're judging them back and forth. Like, when is that going to end? I'm just, I'm just, I'm genuinely curious when that's going to end. Because, again, we get mad at politicians for doing that. But yet, we're not willing to do it. So, I just want to say that, as a Californian, I have never, and I will go on record saying this, I have never been a fan of Gavin Newsom. Uh, He was the mayor of San Francisco, which was right over the Bay Bridge from where I grew up. He became mayor when I was in high school. Every high school girl that I knew was like madly in love with him because he had the gorgeous hair and the smile and the whole thing. Not this girl. I was like, I think he's kind of like full of it. I think he's like the type of guy who's looking on to the next job. And I got crucified for it because he's a Democrat and we're not supposed to speak out against Democrats. What? When he was running for governor, I was like, you guys, I went on. I will go on record saying that I said, you better hope that we don't have any major issue because this guy does not know how to lead like that. Oh, Gavin Newsom is this. What happens? We are last, dead last in the entire country now. We were 46 the other day. Now we're dead last on getting out vaccines. So, and his entire handling of the COVID crisis is a debacle, so much so that a million, over a million people have signed to recall him, Democrats and Republicans, mind you. You need a million and a half in order for recall to actually officially start. But I, I saw through it, and I had no shame, even though Nancy Pelosi and Dianne Feinstein and Hillary Clinton, all these people were saying, no, he's the guy. No, I knew there was something about him that he would not know how to lead my state, and he doesn't. What has happened to California in the last couple of years is a debacle. And I look at him as a Democrat, and I look at Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, and I say to myself, he had a surplus. He had a better relationship with Donald Trump solely because he had to because of how many wildfires we have here and how many of these wildfires are on federal land. So he has to have some type of relationship. He, the drought problem had been fixed. The only issue that he had to deal with when he walked in was the homeless, which he's done nothing about, right? Then COVID hits, and he's running in circles, and, and we, we shut down. We don't shut down. We're doing this. And I look at Gretchen Whitmer, who has no money like, like we did, no surplus. That's for damn sure. Michigan doesn't have near, and I understand they have a lot less people fully aware before any of you guys say anything to me about that. I'm fully aware. I'm just saying she had no relationship with the president. She had to talk to the vice president because the president would refuse to speak to her. Half of her state hates her, like literally hates her because of the shutdown. And they want to kill her and, and take her and kidnap her and kill her and blow up bridges. Okay. She dealt with all of that. And you know what she's doing right now? She went to all of the states, Republican or Democrat led, that had the same amount of population or roundabout Minnesota, Kentucky, you know, Ohio, 
And she said, let's work together to get these vaccines out. Let's make a plan together. So how how is that? How is that possible? I applaud those Republican governors who teamed up with her, and I applaud those Democrat governors who teamed up with her. She led the way, but still. Now, I can say that. It's okay to say that, you guys. It's okay to question Democrats. It's okay to question Republicans. It's okay. I know that we're afraid to because we were living in hell for four years, but we're past that now. All right, we're on the other side. But let me just say this. If you are going to critique someone, don't make it about their age. Don't make it about how they look. Don't make it about, no, okay? Make it about policy. If you have a problem with their policy, if you have a problem with the way they voted to, about something, if you have a vote, if you come to me and you say, I don't like this person because they're this 87 years old, you obviously know who I'm talking about, and, you know, it's time for her to go, and, okay, well, come to me with facts of what has she done. Has she missed any votes? No. Has she legislated bills that have made it into law this year? Yeah. Does she show up? Did she stay until 4 a.m.? When they did the electoral college, did she have to go take a nap? Did she? No. So then, okay, we're good. Conversation's over. We can just move on with our lives. You know, I just think that we've gotten to a point where we are terrified, absolutely terrified by critiquing them from a policy standpoint. Policy. You know, I can say, I don't like Schumer. I don't like him. I think I've been telling you guys for so long, and I'm glad that I'm finally seeing on Twitter that you guys are, like, getting the message that he's not the guy for the job. I don't like Dick Durbin. No shame in my game. I don't like him. I think he's overrated. I think the fact that he's the Judiciary Committee chairman is ridiculous. Okay? So, I don't care. I don't like Markey. I don't like Markey from Massachusetts. Sorry, everyone. I don't. I like team players. I like senators who don't get in front of the microphone all the time and make it about themselves, who don't show off in these committees that are all nonsense, you know, uh, uh, congressional committees in, in front of the cameras. I don't like that. I don't like that. It's okay to say I don't like that. It doesn't make me a bad Democrat. It's okay for me to question what the Democratic Party is doing. It's okay for me to say, you know what, I really don't, I'm not a big fan of Padilla who just got sworn in as California senator. I really don't like the fact that he kept his mouth shut about how left he was until two minutes after he's sworn in, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, the Green New Deal, oh, this. Okay, great, great. Way to go again, Gavin Newsom. Great pick. I don't like him. Sorry. Just like some people can say they don't like Dianne Feinstein. But again, if you're going to say that, come back with policy. Know what these people stand for. Know their voting record. It is so easy to go online on govtrack.us and find out where these people vote. Truly. But if you're going to come back with just like nonsense, then it's just a waste of time. You know, and I guess all I'm trying to say is, yes, we must hold them accountable, Democrats and Republicans. We must not just automatically go, oh, well, you know, Bernie Sanders is right because he's asking for this or Whoa, whoa, whoa. Look at the whole, whole spectrum here. Look at everything. Don't just automatically go with what MSNBC, what CNN, what, you know, any Schumer's telling you to go with. Do your own research. I've been trying to tell you guys this for so long. That is my overall goal here doing what I'm doing is to tell you guys this is what's happening. Make your own conclusion about it. Educate yourself. 
Because until we realize that we have all the power, they're going to hold on to that power and they're going to abuse that power from both sides, y'all. Both sides. Let me tell you. They're both very, very guilty. So, you know, know your stuff. Know your stuff. Know your stuff, guys. I'll be here to explain some things to you guys, but the rest, I can only take you halfway. What's that saying that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink? I can't force you guys to drink, but know your stuff, guys. The one time my father's not going to answer me. Please leave your message. Oh my God, did he just send me to voicemail? <laughs> Hello? What? What are you doing? I was in the middle of a pool game on my phone. I have a question because I'm doing a segment on LBJ. What did you think? What did you think of LBJ? Kennedy needed him for the South. And then, at, for, what about his presidency after Kennedy? Well, he did help the black man. He did help the poor. So I would give him that. The Great Society. Yeah, I think uh, the Vietnam War just. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think it just overwhelmed him. What do you think about how he continued on with the civil rights thing? For That was Kennedy's uh, thing. Uh, yeah. uh, that was very good. Very, very good. Because Kennedy started it, mm-hmm. and then he finished it. So. Did you know that he passed 84 pieces of legislation? No, he did, huh? Yeah. Do you uh, remember him as a kid? Like, do you remember him? Like, What's that? Did you remember him? Being president, oh, kid, yeah, I remember him saying on TV that he was not going to run again. I remember, I remember watching that. Okay, let's do daily descent. Um, again, I started out the day and I had one idea, and then now something else happened. So then the other idea. So these notes mean nothing. I'm going just free for all, and that's always fun, right? When I go free for all. Um, so. Of course, I've talked about with you guys the beauty of the inauguration, the beauty of all these amazing women who had these jewel tones and purple tones and like just so great. And I've seen so many, you know, amazing drawings and and memes and just all sorts of things. And I'm not going to talk about the Bernie Sanders memes because I ain't got time. I'm over it at this point. I'm done. But uh, it was like funny the first like 10 times. Now I'm like over it. Um, Anyways. That being said, I just want to say something that I have noticed from people, real people, not the media, not the none of that, um, that they have drawn or done fun things with pictures of Michelle Obama, Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris, excuse me, uh, Dr. Biden even. Um, I've seen Lady Gaga. I've seen J-Lo. I've seen a drawing of... J-Lo, Lady Gaga, um, Dr. Biden, Vice President Harris, and Michelle Obama. Now, here is my overall sort of issue with, with all of this is, yes, they are all fabulous, fierce women, and I think the cartoon is near perfection. And I say near because, you know, I guess if they would have just had VP Har- MVP Harris and Dr. Biden and Gaga and J-Lo, I would have been like, oh, that makes sense. But the second they added in Michelle Obama, and I thought, y'all don't think this is weird that you're not including Hillary Clinton in this drawing, whomever drew the drawing, and it's a great drawing, and I'm giving kudos to that drawing. But the reason I can't repost that drawing is because I'm like, really? 
really, we're just not going to include Hillary Clinton. Now, if we're saying it's because Obama overlapped with with Biden and well, Hillary overlapped with Obama as well. She was the secretary of state for four years. Also, the first woman nominee, also the first woman to win the popular vote and on and on and on. So I just think I don't know if it's not going to be until she dies and the history books tell her truth that people start including her in the conversation um, of how powerful all that she's done for the women's movement, the modern day women's movement is. I am not saying this because Hillary is my mentor, my idol, my, you know, since childhood. I am saying this because I look at it like, what? I'm not for a second wanting to take away anything from our first woman vice president. I am not by any means. I am so proud of her. I am so proud she's from California. I'm so proud she's where I'm from. I'm so proud for a million different reasons. However, why do you have to not include a woman who paved the way? Because she did. Like literally, the person that's under Harris, whose shoulders she's literally standing on, is Hillary Rodham Clinton's. And that aggravates me to no end. Because if it wasn't for Hillary Rodham Clinton taking the slings and arrows by herself in 2016, all those women senators who ran wouldn't have run because it is not a coincidence that Hillary Clinton wins the popular vote, Hillary Clinton wins the nomination, and then magically four years later, all of these women decide to get into the game and run. Senator Kolbachar, Senator Kristen Gildebrand, Senator Harris at the time, uh, Senator Warren. Why didn't any of them run in before this? Because Hillary paved the way to make it easier. And sometimes, like I've said before, sometimes those who lead the way don't get credit until after they're gone and don't get to see it all the way through. Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Ida B. Wells, all great leaders of the suffragette movement, they didn't get to see women have the right to vote, and they were seen by the public as piranhas. How dare these women do this? How dare these women go to jail? How dare these women fight for the right to vote? Who do they think they are? The history books doesn't tell it like that. The history book says these women are pioneers, as is Hillary Clinton. And she is still here, and she is still fighting. And what I need everyone to understand is that Hillary Clinton got embarrassed beyond words in 2016. And no one was there to help pick up the pieces. Everyone turned their back on her. People were afraid to say her name. But yet, magically, all these women decided to run. And there was only two women at the time who said her name, Kolbachar and Harris. The rest just ignored it. Ignored what she had done for them to make it easier for them. The Democratic Party told her to go away. The Democratic Party said, we don't need you anymore. We're moving on from the Clintons. But funny story, Hillary Clinton helped fund for 2018 so we could what? Take back the House. She has never stopped fighting. She has never stopped pushing. She is a big reason why Harris is there. She has been a fan of Harris's since day one. She has fought for women of all to be equal. 
So when you don't include her in something as simple as a cartoon post at a historic moment, it just makes me go like, what? I expect this from the media. They don't like her. I expect this from Rachel Maddow. I expect, sorry guys, but Rachel Maddow is not the biggest Hillary Clinton fan. Sorry, that's the blunt truth. I expect this from CNN. I expect this, but I don't expect this from, from the, all of you. She deserves better than that. Whether you are a white woman, a woman of color, whatever you are, she has fought for you. She has been there for you. You know the Congresswoman Lucy McBath that you all love so much from Georgia who unfortunately lost her son to a, a shooting? Yeah, Hillary Clinton is the reason that she is a Congresswoman. She was part of the Mothers of the Movement in 2016. Hillary Clinton met her. Trayvon Martin's mother, she was there for. So I just don't, I really don't understand and I pray to God that it's not that when she dies, then everyone sort of goes, oh, wow, she was really amazing. You don't got to like her. I don't care if you like her or not. But you can't deny what she's done for the woman's, the modern woman's movement. She has been taking the slings and arrows since the 90s and still shows up and still does her damn thing. She loses to Obama in 08 even though she has the popular vote and she had the delegates and he took the superdelegates away from her, she's still a team player. She goes and works in, in his administration. So she loses to Trump. She shows up to his inauguration. She doesn't just go to the inauguration. Girlfriend goes to the brunch. So... The, the Democratic Party turns on her. She still shows up for the Democratic Party. She has tweeted support for almost every single cabinet member that Biden, President Biden has announced. She has shown nothing but support and love for Vice President Harris. She has been a true team player, and all everyone wants to do is slap her around. She has never complained about anything she has never complained about how hard it was or how rough it was no she just keeps fighting and y'all tell her to go away so anyone who's drawing doing maybe possibly include her in the situation possibly you don't got to include laura bush that's cool she's not on our team but hillary clinton is the manager of our team so that's all I have to say about that. I'm, I'm tired of having this conversation. I'm tired of, of making it seem like, you know, I'm a Hillary whatever, but she deserves respect, especially from those she has been fighting hardest for, which is every single woman in this country, whether you voted for her or not in 2016. She has made it easier. So even Nikki Haley, I'm looking at you. If it wasn't for Hillary Clinton, you wouldn't be in the game like this. Sorry, that's just the blunt truth. So there you have it, guys, your daily descent. All right, guys, I hope that you've learned something. I hope you'll go back and do some research for yourself. Until next time, the OG of the HRC, signing out.